friends, I'm Tanya Luna, psychology researcher and writer. And I'm Brian Luna, and I'm researching what we taste like to lollipops. And you're listening to Talk, Talk Psych, Psych to Me, a show where we take research out of the lab and into the street. Let's get into it. Fascinating question. <laughs> wow. I really want to talk about that, but even more so, I want to talk about our very special guest today. Oh my gosh, yeah. Who is the one and only Whitney Goodman. She is a psychotherapist and author of the book Toxic Positivity. So I'm not going to be too positive in my intro. I'm just going to kind of play it cool, let her guide us in the appropriate amount of positivity. But I'm so excited about this topic because, you know, we've become, I think, especially in the U.S., such a positivity culture that... I already have questions. Yeah, great. But but, but, I'm, but I'm going to save it for for the actual yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, for the actual show. For actual, we need to get here. Yes, okay. yes. All right, great. But anyway, my point is, you know, we we tend to think of positivity, especially in U.S. culture, as like default good. But actually, there are so many negative consequences when we do it wrong. Uh-huh. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. How can positivity be done well? And what does it look like when it actually turns toxic? Oh, my gosh. Whitney, I hear you snickering at Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Come join the show. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. You know, we like to kind of get right into it. And Brian looks like he's sitting at the edge of a seat wondering if he's been doing it all wrong. Because I, I, being from Texas, I already know we might be where y'all research this. So, uh, <laughs> And I'm from see. Ukraine where we have very little, <laughs> very little low levels of positivity. <laughs> so what is toxic positivity? Toxic positivity is really this unrelenting pressure to be happy and positive all the time, no matter what the circumstances. And I think it's a pressure that we put on ourselves and on other people when they're in their deepest moments of struggle. Mm. Brian, Brian had kind of like a little aha moment happen in his face. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think because like, uh, where I come from, like keep a stiff upper lip in Texas is so weird because like we smile when we hit you, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, weird place. But it's interesting. Cause when you think about Texas, like you've talked a little bit about kind of toxic masculinity. I think what's super interesting about what you're talking about, Whitney, is it's like, this is the stuff of Instagram posts and self-help books. And it's about constant, constant, constant positivity. Could you share some examples of how this shows up in action, Whitney? Yeah. So the thing about toxic positivity is that it really depends on the timing, the audience and the topic, right? So some of these might seem pretty innocuous, but when they're used in certain situations, they become toxic. And some of my biggest offenders are like, everything happens for a reason. Time heals all wounds. Think of all that you learned. Just be grateful. And the worst is like, at least it's not uh, in front of whatever it is. Oh, yeah. At least, at least it's, it's not. not yeah, yeah. The blank. <laughs> Tanya has one that she uses all the time. Okay, Whitney, could you, Dr. as an expert, no. just resolve this debate for <laughs> Because us. this is huge. Because when you said everything happens for a reason, he flashed his little blamey eyes at me. I don't ever say that. No. I don't ever say that. Well, what you I, do. What you I do, do say. You say, you say no, no, there's no. no, there's no, you say it's all supposed to happen because No, I would have your, never said that in my you, life. What, what's that? Uh, what I determinism. say. Yes. What I say is it is what it is. And I find that deeply calming because no one can disagree that it is what it is. So before we kind of dissect toxic positivity, would you be, I know you're not, a, I don't think you're a relationship counselor, but. Would you weigh in on <laughs> yes. you might up, today? You might end up, you might get your, you might get your license today. Yes. I do have some experience with couples counseling, so it's okay. You're not throwing me right <laughs> off the deep end here, but I, I think you're bringing up a good point that for you, it feels deeply comforting, right? So you can say that to yourself. It is what it is. 
great. When you say it to other people and they might not feel comforted by that, that might be an example of toxic positivity in the sense that like you're not really taking into consideration what's helpful for them. So it's a uh, both can be true at the same time answer. Right. But, but mine is more true is what you're saying. <laughs> so they can be true at the same time, but mine has a little bit more truth. I Just get a quick check in. It was what it was. Is that any better? <laughs> So Brian is already gloating over here. I do think, you know, reading your book, I was like, ah, I feel like some of these things I am guilty of because the way I think about it is reframing for myself. And you're totally right. When I do it for myself, that's one thing because I am my own audience. I get to decide, is it working for me or not? Brian, other people in my life, you know, obviously not so much. So Brian, here's your chance. (laughs) What are ways that you have felt the toxicity of my positivity? Well, I, I, suffocating fumes. <laughs> no, but I, I don't know. And, and, and Whitney, I don't know if this is the same thing, but like sometimes when you're feeling down and when you're feeling sad, when you're feeling angry, I just kind of want to be allowed to feel that for a little bit, you know, uh, like let it kind of flow through and then see what's on the other side of that. Whereas like some people want to stop you dead on the tracks and say, oh, well, like you said, oh, well, at least it's not, you know, at least it's not a migraine or at least it's not COVID or, you know, something like that. You're like, oh yeah, I guess so. I guess I should count my blessings. You know, a long time ago, I remember uh, feeling stuck in my career. I, w- I was doing commercials, right? And, and you know, it's a very lucrative uh, uh, business, you know, for an actor and everything. But you're not really doing what you love doing. You know, you're not really, it's not acting. And I remember talking to some of my friends and just being really down because, like, that that's the only thing that was knocking on my door. And I, and I you know, you, it, you show up on set and people don't really treat you well, even though you're in the commercial. It's just kind of like you're, you're a product, right? You're, you feel like a, like a, like a livestock. So, um I remember talking to my friend about it and they were like, you should just be grateful because I'm not even doing a commercial and you should be grateful for what you have. And this, and I was like, Oh man, I felt like such an asshole, you know? And then I was like, but wait, I I still, I still like that didn't make me feel any better. Like, I don't, you know, yeah, it would be better than doing nothing, but it's not what I'm, you know, TP alert, TP (laughs) toxic positivity. Oh geez. I thought you meant, Oh geez. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, what does, that sounds to me. I don't I think mean, that acronym is going to stick. No. <laughs> that also means toilet paper. I was like, TP alert. What does that mean? Okay, fine. Um, Whitney, is that, I mean, what, what Brian just described, is that fall? It's a perfect it's- example um, of like, you just said that I want to be able to like move through my feelings, sit with them, experience them. And the other person is kind of saying like, nope, you're not allowed to do that. And not only that, your feelings aren't even legitimate because you actually have it a lot better than you think. And so you should shut up. Like that's usually what that feels like. Yeah. And in your book, some of the things that you brought up for me, when I first, you know, recognize some of those kind of common signals of toxic positivity, like invalidating people's feelings or kind of like forcing them or attempting to force them out of those negative feelings. I was like, okay, yeah, I get that. But you also have some more kind of nuanced examples, like some of the downsides of calling people cancer survivors. Can you talk about that? And what's, you know, that's one of those things that's seen as such a like kind of positive term in our society. I think the language around illness is one of the biggest ways that we see toxic positivity come up. And so when we talk about, cancer survivors particularly, like they're fighting a battle. Um, They have to win. They have to be positive if they're going to get through Mm. this. There's this big pressure to be like a warrior when you're going through one of the hardest experiences of your life. And there's almost this 
underlying meaning of like, well, if you didn't get through it, if you didn't survive, maybe you weren't positive enough. Maybe you didn't try hard enough. Um, that I find that language to be really debilitating, especially to the patients that I've worked with of like, I'm already going through this really hard thing. And now you want me to do it with a smile on and to make it seem like I'm just thriving while I'm beating this. Wow. I remember growing up, you know, we, we grew up pretty, pretty broke. Tanya did too. You know, we, we, we had our, we had our issues with money growing up. And I remember people who were better off used to tell like my dad, Oh, well, if you just worked harder, you know, I, I just remember hearing that from a friend of mine, actually telling us that if your dad just worked harder, he would have more this. I mean, look at us, we're, we're a hardworking family and blah, blah, blah. And they were actually not that hardworking, but, uh, <laughs> you know, no, I, I think that definitely ties in in the sense that there's this idea that if we are just positive, if we set our sights on a goal and we work very hard, then we're guaranteed to get it. And the responsibility kind of always falls back on the individual, right? Of like, if you aren't making enough money, it's because you are doing something wrong. And sometimes that's true, sure. But other times it's a lot about like, luck and where you are in the world and what, you know, hand you got dealt. It's not always just like positive mindset, hard work ethic equals success. Or as I say in the book, we would have a lot more, you know, millionaires and billionaires <laughs> if that was really the case. Yeah. Well, and what I love about what you bring up is kind of the shadow side of glorifying the people who make it, the people yeah. who like work really hard and they're like the heroes because whether it's they get through a disease or they get through poverty or whatever it is. And it's like that individualistic story of this self-made positive hero. Mm -hmm. The shadow side of that is that anyone who didn't have that luck, we blame it on ourselves yeah. or that individual blames it on themselves, which is why I think it's, it's so important to talk about this. And can you talk about body positivity? That's another one of those concepts that I've never really heard contested until reading your book. What are some of the downsides of the body positive movement? I like to be cautious when talking about body positivity because I think it really got started by people who wanted something good, wanted to make space for marginalized bodies, um, for diversity, all of that. Unfortunately, what I've seen is that it's kind of gotten co-opted by this positivity movement and turn into something that it's not. And now people are expected to love their bodies all the time to like wear whatever they want, celebrate everything. And I find that it's so unrealistic, um, especially, you know, for myself, for people that I've worked with, that I'm a much bigger fan of something called body neutrality that I talk about in the book, which really tells us to kind of just learn to live with our bodies, to show them respect, but to not make our body the center of our world or be something that we have to love or mm -hmm. hate all the time. So my body isn't my temple. It's like my apartment. That's <laughs> <laughs> where I hang out. Whitney, that sounds an awful lot like it is what it is. I'm just saying. No, no, no I get that. <laughs> I, I think it does in some ways that you know, there, the way I look at it is like, if you wake up one day and you're not happy with your body, it's more yeah. of saying like, I accept my body as it is today. It's not going to yeah. get in the way of me living my life. And I'm still going to find ways to fuel myself, to make myself feel better, um, to wear clothes that I feel comfortable in. So it's taking yeah. the focus away from appearance and like love and putting it more on 
utility in some of these other type of metrics. I love that. It's amazing. That's exactly something that I just went through recently. I just started working out again, but I was in the past. I used to work out for a body that I thought people wanted me to have. Right. Like that, that I would show, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, no, but like, I like people that, that, you know, whether it be in the film industry or whatever, like I, I thought I had to represent this thing. So it got me really down when I would get hurt or when something would happen, it would, it would lay me out and I wasn't, I wasn't able to work out. Just recently I started working out again and it's for me, uh, you know, and it's exactly what you said. It was like, I, I used to get such in like this spiral of depression because you wake up thinking every morning, I'm one step further away from the body that I'm supposed to have, right? Mm. You know, because I'm not doing anything and then you get even further into your depression. But recently I started working out and it was just like, I want to love it again. I want it to like have a purpose for my body instead of mm. like me trying to figure out what everyone else wants. So it's interesting that you say that because that literally just something I went through, I guess, neutrality for you, Brian, I feel like you've tried the whole positive affirmation. You've tried the like mm-hmm. self, you know, kind of beating up talk. Oh yeah. Yeah. All that kind of I'm stuff. I'm terrible to myself. You're terrible to yourself. I talk down to myself but all the time. <laughs> you're so mean. Oh my God. So what I love about neutrality is that you don't have this pressure to be like, I do look good or I do feel good. It's just more like, oh yeah, no, I'm no. doing this because yeah. I want to be doing this. <laughs> I never got to the body positivity part. Yeah. Uh, not the positivity, but the neutrality thing. Oh, I've seen thing. you flex I, in the mirror. Yeah, well, only, you know, <laughs> you're going to, you know, I'm a knock and knock and a flex when I walk by. I'm going to, you know, but, uh, but no, like I've been really hard on myself and then just hit the neutrality part yeah. where I'm no longer saying like, come on fat boy, one more, you know, like now I'm like, okay. You know, I, I can just like, just do one more if you feel like it. Just Let's do go. one more. Yeah. Yeah. See if yeah. You can do and, it. and I think what you're bringing up, Whitney, is so important because in the constant barrage and pressure to be positive, it's like yet another thing to be positive about mm-hmm. or, or another pressure. So not only do I have to look at my body, I also have to love my body. And then if I don't love my body, I feel bad about not loving my body. And then I have to feel bad about that. And then it's sort of like builds and builds and builds. And so the power of acceptance is just so underrated, I think. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean that you can't want to um, improve your physical fitness or do things for yourself that feel good for your body. But I think it's figuring out like, where is that coming from? And what impact is it having on my life when I live this way? Yeah. Well, So we talked a little bit about like what toxic positivity is when we're the recipients of it. But of course, this thing exists because we also have the urge to deploy or emit toxic positivity. Mm -hmm. So going back to you, Brian Luna, are you ever guilty of toxic positivity toward others? We've heard that you've been the victim of it. I don't know. I think I'm pretty perfect. So (laughs) I'm going to say TP alert. No, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you're, you'd, you'd know better than I would, but like, oh. I'm never like, uh, I'm sorry, say that again. You would know better than I, I'm saying, cause you're the recipient of it. Right. Uh, I, I don't see, I don't see. I will tell I'm you, doing. I think that you, do you want to know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we put, you asked the question. <laughs> I, well, I would say that, you know, similarly to me trying to kind of cheer you up too quickly. I think you do it to me. Like I'll bring to you, like, you know, recently I've been kind of agonizing over which charitable organization do I want to invest more time and money into. Mm -hmm. And I've been feeling bad things about it. Mm -hmm. And we had a conversation (laughs) where I like attempted to share those negative feelings with you. And Mm -hmm. you were like, 
you could look at it differently. You could look at it this way and think about it. Like, no matter what, you're doing something good. Well, I don't, first Does of all, I, I resent the voice. Uh, <laughs> I think that tone That's is your toxic wrong. positivity voice. No. I, but, and then I noticed myself feeling like sadder, which is an interesting thing, right? Because clearly you love me. You were somewhat clearly you, you were doing it to make me feel better. Yeah. But I think because you didn't kind of join me in the processing of the negative feelings, it made me feel probably more alone yeah. with those feelings. No, I, I get that. I, I, th- I think that's absolutely what it is. You know, you don't want someone you care for to feel down. You you immediately want them to pick, you, you want to pick them up, not listening to what the actual problem is or not listening to what they, like, yeah. we have this thing uh, we've talked about before, like, how do you need me? And I didn't ask that. I didn't mm-hmm. ask, how do you need me? I just went straight into, let me put out this fire. Or let me try to help yeah. in some way. And uh, you're right. I, I don't. So I don't know if that's, if that's toxic positivity, but it is. It, yeah. it, okay. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you. Thank you, new Whitney. Um, um. But Whitney, so, I mean, it sounds like one of the reasons most likely is just because we want, we want to take the pain away for others. What are other reasons that this is, why are we doing this to each other? That's absolutely right. Wanting to take the pain away from other people. I think also sometimes we are not equipped or we don't know how to help someone get through it. So maybe we try to shut down the conversation. I also notice that sometimes people just don't want to have to deal with it or to help, or they're afraid that the other person is going to get stuck in that place. Like, oh, I don't want them to get depressed again, or I don't want them to be anxious. And if I entertain this, it's going to make that happen. And you said something interesting of like, it almost made me feel sadder when you didn't join me there. And I think that is the most common response. It's actually the opposite, that when you try to pull somebody out of it too quickly, they feel really isolated and alone and like, wait, I'm not ready for this yet. Totally. And that Brian and I are both making sad faces at each other because at least for me, the, when you said that, I was like, oh, I feel like I did that to you for so long when, because you, you do, from my perspective, get stuck sometimes mm-hmm. yeah. in, in the negative. And at one point, Brian kind of like cut me off from being invited into his problems because <laughs> I would just go into problem solving mode so quickly. Remember? Yeah. I'd ask Zoltar instead. Zoltar? Uh, I, I was <laughs> Zoltar That's the first time then. you call me Zoltar. If you did that, I think it would perpetuate. I wasn't calling you, you call Zoltar, me... you ego. I was actually talking <laughs> to Zoltar. Oh my God, you think you're Zoltar? Wow. See, and this is part of the problem, Whitney, is this is, I don't know if this is. Oh, you're talking about you were talking to our little Zoltar yeah. doll? Oh, God. Wow. Uh, he'd call me like Jiminy Cricket. That's my little cue. We, our relationship is based on code words. So like Jiminy Cricket is his word for like. Is when she's being too positive. Oh, that's a great example. Because yeah. Jiminy Cricket was all about like, wouldn't let Dumbo just feel like. Okay. That's an not even the right story. It was Pinocchio. Oh, right. Whatever. And he probably said it to Dumbo too, if he knew him. But Pinocchio. <laughs> he was just going, through the, he's just going through the Disney universe with trying toxic to talk positivity. positivity. He's been like, hey, fuck up. At least you're not a cricket. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm not a cricket. I should feel better. <laughs> no, but it, but it's actually, that in some ways, I really value that you kind of <laughs> withdrew my right to try to make you feel better <laughs> because it wasn't working, right? Yeah. Like you would come to me with something you were upset about. I would feel like, uh-oh, we're like going down the spiral. I don't want to follow you there. I don't want to like make yeah. this thing you're feeling even more real. And then I would make you feel even worse by trying to problem solve. It's like throwing me a life preserver when I'm in like a like a whirlpool. 
you know, yeah. or like a, like a, like just a little tiny little kiddie pool. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't need it. There's, there's too much, I, there's not enough space in here. So, but, okay. But so then what, Whitney, can you talk about when people are in that kind of negativity spiral, or at least what appears to be a spiral? I guess that's the thing that, that feels threatening about it is like, this isn't just going to flow through. It's going to make things worse. How do we learn to see the value of those negative emotions? So all emotions have value if we want to look deeper into them. There are times where that's not worth it. But if you're in a place where it's like, I'm feeling a lot of this stuff, we have to think about what might these emotions be telling me? What do I need to learn from this? What do I need to process? And sometimes that involves sitting in it for a second and and trying to like question the emotions and understand what's coming up for you. And I think when you're watching someone else go through this, like a spouse, like you guys are talking about, like it's very hard because you're often not in the same emotional space as them. And so it's like, okay, I don't see why you're so distraught over this, or I don't understand why you can't see the finish line. It can be confusing. Well, this must be really hard for parents. Like, uh, like I, I I don't know if they're Mm -hmm. the main contributors to this, but like, must be really hard for parents not to want to step in and with toxic positivity and like try to eliminate everything that's negative in your child's life, uh, whether they're not in my culture. Well, I mean, not in my culture too. I'm sorry, but for, for regular people, for normal families, <laughs> no. not ours. But actually that does bring up the question of kind of, of culture. I, I, I mm-hmm. talked in the beginning, I don't know, Whitney, if you find this, but I find that U.S. culture tends to be very positive. I'm from Ukraine. Brian is, you know, from the U.S., but has elements of, Mexican culture, Native American culture, at least in, in our culture, negativity is the default, I would say. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, literally, you know, you're taught that if you smile, you look like a fool. And same here, same, same in our culture, too. Like, like, kind especially of, as you get older, like a guy, yeah, like you're you naive, smile. you're simplistic. Yeah. And, you know, every story, every novel, every song in my culture, what I was fed from a very early age was deeply sad. (laughs) And so in my culture, when I was feeling negative things, it was like, obviously we're all feeling negative things. Yeah. Obviously. Look at your your cartoons. Like, jeez. I tried to show Brian some of our like Soviet, Soviet cartoons and it's all like this existential angst. And Brian was just like, what is happening? Wow. So do you find that this is, you know, a cultural phenomenon Absolutely. And I've kind of been shocked by the reach of this book because I did think when I was writing it that it was a pretty uniquely American ideal, but I think it shows up in very different ways in other cultures. So I grew up with a Cuban mom, American dad, and I think in in Hispanic culture that, that I was in, it was very much like don't let people see your struggles, Mm -hmm. like keep it within the family, keep it at Mm -hmm. home. And that was the one of the ways that I saw toxic positivity come up was like, maybe not in this smiling, happy way, but certainly this way of we want to make everything look like it's okay. And like, it's good. And it shows up differently for men and women. And um, there's so much nuance there, depending on how and where you were raised. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking like, um, you know, only recently in my in my later life did I talk about my story about being homeless and struggling through a lot of stuff like that as growing up. And a lot of my friends said the same thing. I knew 
nothing about this. Mm. You know, even one of my uncles was like, I had no idea. It's kind of like in was... your in your culture, there's the couch that no one's supposed to sit on that's yeah, supposed to look yeah. perfect. Yeah, it's supposed to look perfect. It's like a symbol of like, this is all, our lives are okay. Yeah. Look at this beautiful couch. Um, no one sit on it. So I get it, Whitney, like you were saying, like, don't show the struggle because that's exactly what we did, even in our deepest, darkest days. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Soviet culture is like, it's bad luck to talk about anything good that's happening in your life. So when you meet someone that you haven't talked to in a while, you're only supposed to talk about all the things that are going wrong in your life. <laughs> that is so funny. I, I think I would have uh, fit in right, really well in that culture. <laughs> As a side question, are you the most negative person in your friend group? I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. You're so positive. So, that's a, that's a, that's a, you don't, don't even, don't even answer that question. <laughs> But okay, so going back to the practical, you talked about sitting with those negative feelings or, you know, in the book, you even talk about like befriending them. And I think that's a really powerful thing to get good at. And I'm wondering, could you get even more tactical there? Like if I'm someone who, you know, the negative feeling strikes and I'm like, it's so uncomfortable. I want to make it go away for myself. I want to maybe turn on the TV or I want to, you know, or maybe I'm noticing my spouse suffering and I don't like the feeling in him. I don't like what it makes me feel like, what does it actually mean? Do we literally just sit and wait or is there some other kind of action to take? I think the first step is trying to change the language around the feeling. So there are no negative or positive feelings. It's just a feeling and telling yourself it makes sense that this feels uncomfortable because I don't know what to do with it or I'm anxious about this feeling, whatever it is. Then I really want people to focus on trying to understand what's happening in their bodies. I think we get really focused on thoughts. Um, So instead thinking like, okay, where do I feel this? Like, Mm -hmm. is my stomach upset? Are my palms sweaty? Is my heart racing? Like really trying to understand and give it a name. So we see in the research that when people are able to name what a feeling is, it becomes known to them. And then it's less scary because you're like, okay, this is anxiety. I know what to do with anxiety. I know what it is. And it ultimately feels safer. And I think that's something people can practice like every time something comes up that they notice. Yes. Kind of labeling it versus judging it. Exactly. So Whitney, when you're saying that, you mean like like physically labeling it? Like, like what's happening in my body physically as well as uh, emotionally? Yeah. So labeling what the sensations are. So how is the emotion manifesting? Like, what do I notice is happening? That's when I was talking about like the stomach ache or racing heartbeat. And then asking yourself, if I was going to give this a name, what would I call it? So for you, that might be anxiety. It might be fear, whatever it is, and trying to make it known to you through giving it a label. Mm -hmm. That is so fascinating. You know, like, when I was in therapy, I remember this happening one time. We were talking about something really, really hard in my life. And uh, my therapist, who, who we've had on the show before, uh, had me do just that when I was feeling really stressed out in her office, you know, because like going through this this trauma that I was talking about when I was younger. And she had me sit there and, okay, what's happening to your feet? Like, what, what's happening to your calves? And just like went all the way up my body. And um, it made me like, because I put a label on every single thing. I was able to identify it down the road. And even now I still do like, uh, like when I start thinking about things, certain things like after my father died, my, my, my chest would get really tight and I'd feel my pulse pounding or something. And I, and I, and I'm able to like slow things down just by labeling it. That is fascinating. That that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Of course. And one of the things you also talk about in your book, by the way, I mentioned your book a lot. Is there like 
a limit to that so that I don't keep people from actually buying the book. You should, if you're listening to this, you should buy it. You're talking about Whitney's book. book. Good. Yes. Let me know if it's like too many spoilers. <laughs> um, no, no, you're good. <laughs> one of the things you talked about is the difference between affect, emotion, and feeling. And the fact that so many people, they're not able to feel their emotions. Yeah. I think that goes back to what we were just talking about that. The emotion is how it's manifesting in your body. It's the experience. And when you give it a name, then you give it a label. And it's something that is now a part of your conscious awareness. Like, this is what I'm feeling. And when we talk about affect, you know, there are people, that's how you're displaying an emotion, what you're showing, like on your face or on your body. There are people who have like three different experiences going on. You know, they're showing something on the outside that's different from what they're feeling physically on the inside and they don't know what's going on. And that's what I find most people are going through when they first come to therapy. And that can feel so overwhelming and disjointed when none of that is connected in any way. Yeah. So it it sounds like almost like a body intelligence or body awareness intelligence also feels like high pressure just awareness and kind of uh connection Mm -hmm. absolutely okay so we've explored a little bit of the the what and the why i'd love to get even more practical in the application so that we can leave this conversation more healthy in the way that we experience positivity for ourselves and others one of the things that you talk about that that I thought was really important is learning to swap this for that. So many of us have learned these kind of like catchphrases, kind of like you were talking about at the beginning of this episode, to put other people's minds at ease or to make them feel better. Like, at least you have a job or, you know, everything happens for a reason, that kind of thing. It is what it is. It, no, that was not we in the book. We already discussed it. We already, it talked, we already covered it. We already covered it. Keep going. <laughs> it's, so what I was thinking, if you two are up for it, because Brian, you're so good at toxic positivity, <laughs> and Whitney is so amazing at thwarting toxic positivity, I was going to suggest a quick little game right now of okay. swap this for that. Okay. So, Brian, you would say the toxic positivity thing, and then Whitney, if you, if you're willing, <laughs> would share with us what's an alternative way to express that same feeling. Sure. What do you What do you think? That's, I'm down. Let's do it. Okay. I don't know if I know that many phrases. Should we make it competitive? Like, should we see? No, no, no. I'm going up against Whitney Goodman. Like, I think I'm going to, it's like I'm playing tennis with, you know, Serena. I'm going to lose. Okay. But but I'll I'll give my best shot. Okay. You ready? Here's the first one. Okay. Ready? At least you have your health. So instead I would ask a question and say, what's scaring you the most? about your health right now. Is there anything I can do to help you? Yeah. One point goodness. Hey, seriously. And that was like, right. On, I was like, I got, I'm going to start off with a curveball and see what, it, okay. Okay. So another one is, um, uh, be thankful for what you have. I'm sure you're feeling a lot of pressure to be grateful right now, but it sounds like you're going through a lot and I want to be there for you. It's okay. If you want to complain to me. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Good. That's good. That's okay. good, man. That's that feels okay, good. Okay, here, here's the, the worst of the worst. Are you okay. ready? Yeah. It is what it is. Stop that. This is for Whitney, not for you, Tanya. You're not playing. Okay. It is what it is. Instead, I would say, oh gosh, <laughs> like reality is really 
scary or annoying right now. I know you don't want to be going through this, but I'm here to listen if you want to talk or vent about it. Wow. Damn. <laughs> He's like an X-Men. Okay. All right. So, um, wait, okay, last one. Okay. That was good. That that, was good. Okay. Last one. Uh, Tanya, you want to help me with this one? Uh, I can't think of any. I throw in the worst of the worst. Okay. Um, Here's one, Whitney, that I'm totally guilty of when um, people like I talked to a lot of people about their businesses and, you know, they make a big mistake at their company. And I and I like to say, well, just think about it like you just paid for an MBA. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, so they've just made a mistake. Yeah. Or like things really didn't turn out well. And and my and my go to is like amazing. You've just learned this incredible lesson for without having to pay for it. Okay. So instead, I would say, I can imagine you're pretty frustrated that you just made this mistake or like, I'm sorry, things didn't work out. Do you want to talk about like what you maybe could have done differently and what has been the hardest part for you? And we can make a plan going forward. Damn. <sighs> That's pretty good. That's really good stuff. <laughs> Whitney, what's amazing about all of this is that it doesn't in any way feel like condescending. It's just kind of like letting people say, hey, like everything you're feeling is valid. We're going to sit back until you know what you need and we're going to be here, you know, Mm -hmm. like because it's not about making you feel better. It's about um, working together to help help you get what you need for this particular issue. Yeah, and the fact that you're feeling bad isn't a problem. It's just part of what's happening. Yeah, and, and not feeling bad. Right, because we're not labeling that anymore. I'm not gonna label. I'm no. I'm no. From this day, no, no joke. I'm not gonna say. Are you feeling bad? Are you feel, what are you feeling? Okay, How the are fact you that you have a stomachache. It's that, the fact that you have that you're feeling something. Yeah, is, is amazing. You right. know, and, mm-hmm. and it's it's and you've done such a wonderful job with even mm-hmm. what we're talking about right here, plus what you've written in your book. And I, I just, I'm, I'm completely blown. My mouth is literally open right now from what we've been talking <laughs> about. I'm like super excited. It's really powerful. It makes me think of like. I read this book not long ago. I don't know if you've noticed, Brian, on how to be a better <laughs> listener. And one of the sorry, th- I wasn't. <laughs> well, you didn't read it. I read it. <laughs> but one of the things that that kind of stayed with me about it, because I think I read that book, and then immediately after, I read Toxic Positivity, and I was like, ah, Toxic Positivity. At the end of the day, it's about not listening. It's a failure to listen to others, and it's a failure to listen to ourselves because we're so busy or feel so much pressure to rush toward. Mm-hmm the solution or toward the the pleasant feeling or toward the Instagrammable, you know, experience. So it's at the end of the day, it's about like truly pausing to listen to what's going on. Is that a fair way to describe it, Whitney? Yeah, absolutely. It, being able to sit with it, not push it away and also be honest, you know, if you're not the right person to help instead of throwing out like a cheap platitude. Yeah, that's fair. And how about you know, we talked about how to not be that source of toxicity for others. You also talk about how to be better complainers. Can you talk about that? Because, you know, an easy takeaway here is like, yeah, I'm going to talk about all the things that are going like now I don't, I'm trying to describe it without value judgment. I'm going to talk about my stomach aches and I'm going to talk about (laughs) the things that aren't working out the way I want over and over and over and over. Like, how do you complain effectively? If you want to complain effectively, you need to know exactly what you're complaining about. So what are the facts? And then what is the result that you want to happen? So maybe it's just that you want to vent and you want someone to validate you, or maybe you want actual change to happen. And then the third thing is identifying 
who or what can make that happen for you. And I find that when those three things are in alignment, people complain less and the complaining feels more gratifying, which ends up leading to less complaining. Mm. I'm a really good complainer. Mm. I, I, I think I, I'm pretty good. I know exactly what I want at the end of the complaint. <laughs> and who I complain to. No, but actually this explains why, well, this explains why I'm going to let myself off the hook for over problem solving. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> well, because what you're bringing up, Whitney, is like, even as, you know, what Brian brought up earlier, one of the things that actually you introduced into our relationship, not Whitney, but Brian, is the question, how do you need me? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you're talking about as in terms of being a good complainer. It's like when you're talking to someone to the extent possible, shed a little light onto what you're looking for out of that conversation, because mm-hmm. then the person on the other end knows how to show up for you. Like if I know that you're just venting, I'm not going to problem solve. Yeah. But if, if I'm like, I need your advice on something. Then, oh my gosh, oh. my sleeves are already rolled up yeah. and I'm in this. But I think it's that ambiguity of not knowing how we need each other yeah. that just puts a lot of pressure on the other individual to be like, wait, am I listening? Am I empathizing? Am I problem solving? Am I, you know, take, should I be taking this? But personally? this also goes for the people that that have these half-cocked uh, things already in the pipe. Like it is what it, not, I mean, you know, like, uh, not it is what, I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> that literally slipped out. <laughs> I meant like, you know, you, you always have your health and all these little, like, you know, like these like generic expressions, yeah, yeah, you know, all, it, yeah. just by listening to platitudes, thank you. It, it just makes you listen. So that way you know what to say. Mm. But I mean, I, I don't know how many times in my, in my work career have I ever had people you know, you, you, you complain to a manager or your boss or, or a coworker and they're like, well, at least you're not on the unemployment line. At least you got a job. And you're like, yeah. well, okay, well that, that didn't solve shit. So. I guess that's what it comes down to is like, there isn't the right thing to say. It's about not going for those platitudes mm-hmm. and really, truly noticing what the person needs and asking what the person needs and being there for that. Exactly. One of the last questions I have for you, Whitney, was, you know, something you said that really stuck with me is that as part of this toxic positivity culture, there's this over fixation on healing and self-improvement. And I think that's such an interesting point because even <laughs> I could even feel myself in reading the book. I'm like, I'm going to be really good at this. Like I'm going to fix all of my toxic positivity. <laughs> so can you talk about your thoughts on the over fixation on healing and how does that show up and what's the alternative? This is something that I've seen given the rise of like Instagram therapists, you know, which I'm part of that, that problem that people have become over fixated on their mental health in the same way that they maybe are about their physical health. Um, And it becomes pathological when people truly cannot relax. They always feel like they're a work in progress. Something needs to be fixed about them. You know, they have, this or that. And it's great to see people working on themselves and wanting to go to therapy. But I think we can take it to this extreme where it gets in the way of people actually enjoying their lives when they're in a space where they can. So I think it's really wise for people to be like, is this really something I need to fix? How is it impacting my life? You know, who gave me this idea that there's this wrong with me? Who might be profiting? off of this and really identifying like, when is it okay to take breaks from this healing? 
I love that. So if you're listening to this podcast, feel free to not use anything that we've talked about today and just <laughs> chill out today. <laughs> but it, it's great. I mean, it's, it's essentially like, sure, learn new things, change the way you're doing things if it serves you right now. You don't have to constantly be improving. You don't have to constantly be learning or getting better or healing. Like you can just be. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. be you're who you are. You're trying to make that stick. You're trying to stick that landing for the rest I'll of I'll tell the- you, I try to stick it in the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So as we wrap up, Whitney, if people want to learn more, aside from reading your book, Toxic Positivity, is there anything else that folks can do to follow your work or to improve in this area if they want to improve? Should they choose? Should they choose? Yes. Should you choose? I have a community on Substack called Good Enough. It's imperfect wellness for imperfect people. And you can follow me on social media, Instagram, et cetera, at sit with wit and toxic positivity. My book is sold anywhere books are sold. Amazing. Amazing. Last thought I was just having in terms of, you know, positivity and what would make me feel really positive, Brian, is if folks that are listening to this episode, if they also felt positive about it, if they left a review or spread word of mouth (laughs) about the show, I feel like that would be a healthy level of positivity, wouldn't you say? I'd say so. So we've had a real blast here. And as always, thank you for listening to Talk Psych to Me. It is what it is.